The following audio message is from Neighborhood Church in Overland Park, Kansas. At Neighborhood Church, we seek to be a community that loves God and our neighbors together. If you would like to learn more about Neighborhood Church, please go to www.neighborhoodchurchop.com. Everyone, welcome to Neighborhood Church. I'm Dave Parton. I get to be the pastor here, and uh, glad you guys have uh, um, chosen to be with us at Neighborhood Church this morning. If you do find Nerf bullets around the sanctuary, it's all on purpose. Uh, we tried to pick them up last night, but we had uh, 30, 40 plus folks uh, shooting Nerf darts, uh, all in the name of Jesus last night. It was a good time. And uh, feel free, if you find one of those, uh, you take it home with you. It's a gift. Just put it in your pocket, take it home with you, and um, use it as you wish. Uh, We are in the uh, book of Romans, so if you have a Bible or would like to use a Bible in the seat in front of you, um, if you need a Bible, you can take that Bible home with you, if that's something that you need. Uh, We're in Romans chapter 8, so we're in a series uh, started last fall. And we're going to just continue to preach uh, verse by verse through this wonderful book that Paul wrote to the church in Rome. Um, we do think that the Bible's true here at our church. We believe that um, just the name, the Word of God, is a, is a good name for the Bible. Uh, it reminds that it's the, it's the creator's story. It's a, it's a book about God. And our hope is, is that as we study it um, day by day and here in this room uh, week by week, uh, that it does become the pillars that we stand on. Uh, we learn from the creation of the world to the second coming into eternity through this book. So it's, it's pretty vast in its story, and we get to see how God interacts with humanity um, page by page. Last week, uh, we were in uh, the mid part of Romans 8, and Brian, one of our elders on our preaching team, walked us through um, verses 12 through 17 as uh, an adoptive parent. He focused on our adoption as uh, sons and daughters of God and what that means. And um, the beautiful part of that story that, that I think he pointed to really well was it's not based on our merit, but it's based on the love of God that he chose to come and uh, redeem us and accept us and invite us into his family. So we are in full dependence, full reliance of who God is and as adoptive children. We're going to keep that theme, of course, because as we read the scriptures, um, you know, it's a part of a larger story, a larger thought of, of Paul's. We'll actually be starting in 17 here in a second. But one thing that Brian pointed out about adoption is adoption exists because something went quite wrong somewhere. Something happened. There was some suffering that took place for adoption, this beautiful story of adoption to exist. And this is truth, true in our human lives and our sin. Like there was a reason that we need to be adopted into his kingdom. Um, so adoption exists because of suffering. Our salvation and freedom and forgiveness, they all exist. These words exist because there is suffering. So this is our topic today about suffer, suffering. And, and maybe you thought... Um, you know, today you would come to church and you would be encouraged through your suffering and you come to a service and the, the pastor says, hey, we're talking about suffering t- today. And you might be like, well, I think I need to, t- to turn my brain off. My hope is that you, you keep your brain on today. And I hope this will be a, a, a message of hope for you. 
Um, but we will talk about suffering some. So if you're going through something right now, I'm, I'm sorry about that. I know about some of the things going on in the room. I, of course, I don't know everything. And, and, and most of us, if we're not going through suffering right now, we know somebody who is, right? Because this is the way the world works. Um, and we'll be talking about that as well. So my aim today is that we would consider the truths of the word of God to help us in our suffering. And we wouldn't want to hide or dismiss uh, that suffering, but, but see it through the lens of the gospel. And my hope is that you would have healing and hope today. Um, I'm going to use words like hurt and pain um, and suffering kind of interchangeably. I know that technically there's some slight differences when you think about discomfort or distress, but I'm just going to kind of lump them all to, to, today together. Um, and I want to let you know that I don't want anyone to feel their suffering is minimized by anything that I say. Um, what we feel inside is our suffering is our suffering. And it's something that we're going through and it, it's, not a, it's not a time for comparison, but just specifically that we're going through suffering, that there is pain, there is discomfort, there is hurt going on in our lives. And maybe one person has a lot of resilience in one area because of some trauma or experience or counseling that they had, and maybe somebody else doesn't quite have that yet, but hopefully through the maturity and the lens of the gospel that all of us will grow in dealing with our suffering in a right way. Um, so my hope is that you don't feel like if I say something about something weighty that you feel like your suffering is any less, but I just want to say your suffering is hard. And I want to be here with you today. My suffering, hopefully you say, is hard. And that's what I hope we would see that um, the gospel will speak to. So what does God say about suffering and how to re respond to it? Um, Paul told us in verse 15 and 16, he said, for you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, that's the, the prior verse, is this idea of fearing suffering, fearing discomfort, fearing pain. But we've received a spirit of sonship. So just this reminder that our adoption into um, the relationship with God is a beautiful story and is, and is helpful as we go through suffering in this life. Our identity has changed. We're somebody new, we're somebody different. So let's pray before we read our passage, Romans 17 onward. Father, we thank you for your word. We do pray uh, that your uh, Holy Spirit would be a salve today, that would be, be, be a healing um, as they're suffering and even uh, worry and anxiety about what's going to happen next for things in our lives, that, that we could stand strong. And as we uh, study your word together as a church family, that you will be glorified because, Father, we know we are dependent and reliant on you. And all God's people said, amen. All right, so Romans chapter 8, verse 17. And we'll read through 25 this morning. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. And hope 
that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So as we read paragraphs in Romans, they are weighty. They are weightier than most things we read on social media. They are weightier than most uh, blog posts that we read. So we kind of, if you're new to church, we kind of just take a couple sentences at a time because we understand um, it takes a little bit to kind of dig through some of what Paul's trying to teach here. So as followers of Jesus, how are we to think about suffering and how do we respond to it? Well, I just want to begin with the first two verses again. I know I just read a lot, so I'm just going to read those first two again just to remind us where we get our first two points today. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So Paul brings two key truths, I think, in these first couple sentences. It, it, first of all, we, we see that since we're the family of God, we, we share in the family's sufferings, but we also share in the family's glory. So point number one today, Christians share in Jesus' sufferings. Christians share in Jesus' sufferings. So when you think about being adopted or being invited into a family, or say, um, uh, say when Rivers joined my family, um, when I started dating her when, when we were in college and she was late high school, um, she learned that my family was a, um, a woodworking family. So... Um, if you become part of Dave's life as my girlfriend, you're over a lot, you learn to stain wood. And, you know, and staining wood at my house was like literally a trash can full of stain that you dip things into and let it dry against the fence row, right? Because my parents were crafters. That's what they went to craft shows. And remember that? Some of you guys used to go to craft shows before Etsy, right? So it's like that was a thing and, 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 Rivers learned to paint tops. You know, it's like there's lots of things that you learn because you became part of the family. You get to share in the family's suffering, if you will, right? Because that's, that's part of what we understand. And I think that's what we learn here. When you become identified with Jesus, you get to be identified with the things of God and the things of Jesus. And the first thing that Paul brings up here, that's why it's our first point today, share in his sufferings. I mean, I realize I'm standing in front of a, a cross, that was used to kill people. Like that's, that's, what we, that's where I'm standing today. So I'm inviting you to be a part of the ways of God, but one of those include the sufferings of Jesus. And what are these sufferings? What are, when you think of the sufferings of Jesus, what do you, what do you think about? Well, uh, the good news is we have four gospels where we have lots of words from Jesus himself and there's a chapter in the Bible that, where Jesus talks about sharing in his sufferings. 
And it's John chapter 15. It's, it's famous for many of us because it's the, I am the vine, you are the branches. When you're connected to me, you can do great things. If you're not connected to me, you can do nothing. So it's that, once again, identity piece. We're connected to God. So maybe similar to joining the family of God. But this is what, this is what Jesus says here. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. Right, do the work of the ministry here. So that whatever you ask in my name of the Father, I'll, the, my Father will give you. This is my command, love each other. So you got to go love people, right? This is where he kind of gets into the more suffering component. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. But I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. And these, these very people that Jesus is teaching this to, most of them died because they are identified with Jesus. Their fate was tied to the fate of their leader, their family. And Jesus suffered for us. He was wrongly accused. Jesus died on the cross for humanity. And he says, they will persecute you also. I wanted to pause here and admit that here in our country, especially here in the middle of America, uh, you may not feel like your fate, your life is in danger uh, because of your faith at the moment. Um, in Christianity Today, they, they post every year the top 10 most dangerous countries to live in. They rank in this order, North Korea, Somalia, Libya, Enritia, Yemen, Nigeria, Pakistan, Sudan, Iran, and Afghanistan. So from the hardest place to be a Christian to the 10th most hardest place to be a Christian. If you hear of missionaries going to these countries, you'll almost always hear of it as saying a region of the world, Southeast Asia, Central Asia, North Africa. That's kind of how you hear because you almost never hear names being said of missionaries going to these places. But praise the Lord, there are men and women who choose to go to the top 10 most dangerous countries for the sake of the gospel. Amen? That's good. Maybe one of you in the room and your family might choose to do this. And what an honorable thing to do if God calls you to do that. Last year, the deadliest country was Nigeria. 4,100 Christians were killed last year because of their faith. And they were tied to the fate of Jesus. Indeed, we shared his sufferings in order they may also share his glory as we read in 17. But I tell you the story about what goes on in the world, not to say that being a Christian in Kansas City is easy by any means. I'm not here to say that at all. But what I'm saying is that may we never forget there are places harder to live than Overland Park and being a Christian. May we pray for our brothers and sisters around the world that they know that if they say yes to Jesus, they might be murdered. They might be imprisoned. They probably will for sure be kicked out of their family and their community. May we pray often 
for the persecuted church, especially when it comes this physical persecution that I just spoke of. But many of us, we have a different kind of suffering as we connect ourselves to Jesus. It's still suffering. And since you identify with the teaching of Jesus in the Bible, maybe some accuse you, as Jesus just told us, they accuse you of hate. Like, Jesus literally commanded, go love each other. But the world is saying, you're actually a hater of people. And that hurts. In our current culture, the world says, if you don't accept me and my beliefs and my ideologies, then you hate or maybe even some go beyond of, if you don't actually support me and encourage me in my opinions, you are a hateful person. But if you consider the Bible's teaching on marriage, on homosexuality, on abortion, on pornography, on what books should be read to small children in public school, or heaven, or if the only way to heaven is through faith in Jesus Christ alone. People will call you one who hates. And this hurts. And it won't take long for a Christian who's bold enough to actually speak up and believe the truths of the scriptures and say them to feel some suffering. But I do want to say this. This is key. May... We all have the goal in talking to people about the truths of the scriptures, a moral ethic of good. May it always happen through grace-filled conversations. Grace-filled conversations about cultural topics. Using the truths of the Bible or your knowledge or even your own experience in an ungrace-filled way to win an argument is wrong. And I would say it might even be sin in some circumstances. It's not just the experience to feel sufferings of Jesus because you're a jerk. That is not at all what Jesus is saying here. It's not to prove yourself. The final goal of having conversations of truth are for the good of other people that they may fall in love with God. That's the goal, that they would love Jesus, not love you. But sometimes it's our own desire to stay away from discomfort that limits those conversations. And I pray that we grow in that as a community. And when we have these conversations with those yet to be saved, we must be reminded that all of us start as kings on our own thrones and may we remember that. And it's hard to think a different way. It's hard to think that I should live humbly, that actually someone else or God would do a better job in running my life than myself. So when there's pushback, just see it as normal. And don't be startled by it. Walk with people. Truly believe the teachings of the scriptures, but walk with people. Be winsome. Talk in a loving manner. Be grace-filled. Pursue mercy and love the way that our message will communicate who Jesus was to them. And I tell you, church, when, I'm saying this factually, when we are misunderstood, disliked, persecuted, may we remember the life of Jesus. And as I was thinking about this today, I was thinking, 
Jesus really was the embodiment of the love of God. He would walk into towns and heal all the sick. He would teach about this love and being a servant and being vulnerable and being honest in the truths of the Old Testament and making a very applicable day. Thousands of people would follow him. He never sinned. And he was killed. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like, what's going to happen to us? I'm kind of selfish and I get judgmental and I get kind of tony. I don't know if that's a word, but you know what I'm saying? You kind of get like, what? what? You know, you get, like Jesus never had that. Except maybe with the Pharisees and they may have deserved it. You know what I'm saying? But it's like with, with just normal people in sin, he was caring, he was kind. And what happened to him? May we just expect that there's going to be some tension, but may love and grace through the tension display the very love that we're trying to teach who Jesus is. I do want to go to the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5.10. This is how he starts. This is how Jesus starts his long sermon in Matthew. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's one of the Beatitudes. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus saying, hey guys, if you're going to identify with me, there's going to be some suffering in this life. But great is the reward. So we will share in Jesus' sufferings. Let's read 17 and 18 again as we move to our second point. Now, if we're children, then we're heirs, heirs of God in accordance with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. The very thing Jesus just taught, Paul's reiterating. So point number two today, we will share in Jesus's incomparable glory. This suffering that we experience won't even compare with the reward. It's like those who have, you know, a teenager, maybe 16-year-old, 17-year-old in the house. Picture that and you go to your teenager and you say, I need you to clean. It's Saturday morning, right? And they have all this, you know, phone time they want to have, and all, you know, all the things. They have all the things. And you say, there's clothes like all over the place. I need you to do something with those today. And they have this like, ah, oh, suffering. You know, like they have this like, they have this like, ah, oh, that's not what I want. Discomfort. I don't want to do that. I want to do what I want to do, right? There's that, right? Picture that. But then your next sentence is, and when you finish... I'm going to buy you a brand new car. <laughs> Incomparable sentence. Doesn't make any sense to any adult in the room, right? You mean what? If you pick up your own stinking clothes, I'm going to buy you a car. No. But this is the sentence that Jesus says to us in the Beatitudes. This is the sentence that's Paul reminding the suffering won't even compare to the glory that's going to be revealed. And my hope for us today is like, 
pain, agony, hurt because of the name of Jesus, it's real. It's real suffering. But it doesn't even compare to the eternal glory we get to share in with Jesus at the great banquet in heaven. Paul's teaching us to look ahead and see that this present pain won't be like the riches coming. It'll be incomparable. As Jesus' followers, we identify with him. What do we receive from God as this identification? Well, we receive forgiveness of sins. Jesus' perfection covers us. That's just one of many. We receive freedom from the dominion of sin. Sin no longer controls us. We can actually live lives. We have the ability to live lives that honor God because of the Spirit now lives in us. And the Spirit allows us to live with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. What a way to live life. We receive eternal life in heaven. We're co-heirs with Jesus. Great is the reward. This is what we have to look forward to. So review of point two, we'll share in Jesus' incomparable glory. In this third section, our last section for today, Paul's going to introduce a different type of suffering. Let's read this again. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation will be subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. Paul's saying this world is doomed in a sense. It's cursed. God put a curse on it due to sin. It's, a, it's, it's in bondage to corruption. And there's a groaning. The creation's kind of groaning. Our hearts are kind of groaning. So there's so much suffering beyond persecution. Now, persecution's where we started, but there's other suffering in this world. When I think of creation groaning, I think of earthquakes and volcanoes and tornadoes and hurricanes and tsunamis. We never blame people for those, right? It's, it's, it's the earth. Just There's a groaning in it and, and tragedies happen and people lose everything. They lose lives. They lose all their stuff. They lose family members. There's plagues. What in the world was COVID-19 and still, what is this that's killed so many people? And just sicknesses and your body, our body is growing old and falling apart. Consider what sin does to our hearts and the darkness of our hearts that here in Kansas City, there were murders downtown during a parade. It's hard to, how do we celebrate the chief's victory? And we all felt, we still feel odd about that. Suffering. 
Consider the war in Ukraine. It's been going on for a long time now, it feels like. And the chaos in Russia, even from this last week of news. And then more recently, the Israel-Palestine war. Maybe you're following that. What? And I just looked up. 160,000 people die every day. It's a lot of funerals. It's a lot of suffering. It's a lot of pain. And we have to realize that there's this groaning of creation, this groaning of humanity, that suffering is real. If you're in the church or out of the church, suffering is real. And maybe more personally in the room, Maybe just one relationship that hurts right now for you is enough suffering for you to feel today. And maybe that controls how you wake up and go to bed because of that one relationship. Often they're suffering because of loss, loss of position, loss of job, loss of comfort, loss of a relationship. Loss of trust for somebody that you trusted. Loss of health, loss of life. It's just loss, just suffering. It's painful. It's hard. It lasts way too long. And there's a groaning. So if you're in the room and you're groaning, Paul wants to say, yes. That groaning is real. We ourselves are groaning, as we read in 23. And Jesus, he's not, he's not unfamiliar with this. Jesus, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he starts out with persecution. He teaches on these, all these topics. And, and by chapter 7 of Matthew, he ends his Sermon on the Mount like this. Therefore, Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. He is not talking about actual storms in creation right here. He's talking about life storms. He says things like this. The rain came down. Maybe that's how you feel today. It's just raining suffering for you. The streams rose. The winds blew. They beat against that house. And Jesus says, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. That's the teaching of Jesus. Verse 26. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does them and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who's built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house. And it fell with a great crash. The same storms hit both people in Jesus' teaching. This is how Jesus summarizes his teaching. That the storms, the suffering is going to come. But the difference is where the house was built. So what does the world do with suffering? From my experience, and when I'm in sin, I mostly blame others. I do not look at myself. 
A lot of if-onlys. Sadly, many go to drugs to cover the pain because it temporarily does do that but causes so much more. Many stop trusting people because that's safer and people aren't trustworthy. Many live lives of fear and judgmentalism. I just want to say all that sand. That's not the way to live life. Jesus teaches that trusting in his teachings and his salvation, the truth that we can all be saved and there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus will bring a confidence and security and strengthen you. So when the storms come, when the suffering comes, you will not crumble. You will get beat against. But you will not be destroyed. Point number three, as we wrap up today. Build your life on Jesus because suffering will come. And I know today I didn't talk about everything about suffering by any means. But I do want to say these three quick things. That God is with you in your suffering. God is there. Hebrews teaches that we don't have a a savior, a high priest that doesn't understand us, but that he does understand us. He was tempted in every way, but he did not sin. He understands and empathizes in our weakness. That's Jesus. He came. Our God came to experience this life and experience this suffering, and boy, did he. So because of that, we can approach God with confidence in our suffering. So first was God is with you and your suffering. Secondly, God cares for you in your suffering. He's not just there, but he's like, he wants to hold you. He, Jesus says, hey, take my yoke upon you. Like, 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 let's share and I will hold the weight and I will give you peace. That's how suffering is healed with, when you experience peace. And you can have peace in your suffering because peace is presence with God, not absence of pain. And thirdly, God calls us to care for others in suffering. I want to close with this. I, I, um, I, I was at the park, and Lydia called me uh, this last fall and said, uh, Jackson had fallen on a skateboard. And you guys saw Jackson was in a sling this fall, couldn't play. And his very important rec soccer team going to go to state. I'm just kidding. But he, he's in a sling. He had this bo broken bone, you know, and, and it was this, this experience. And I heard, heard him, you know, many of you cared about him, asked about what happened in his story. So I, I began to think through, what, what did I do? Like, what did I, when I got the phone call to, to show up at, at the school where, when he fell off the skateboard, I, and the very first thing I, I said is, I'm here, buddy. It's the first thing I said. I'm right here. Second thing I said was, that looks pretty bad. <laughs> Let me see. Show me all the spots, you know. And because he was talking to me and he knew his name, and I said, it's going to be okay. You're going to be okay, buddy. And then I said to him, uh, we're going to get this taken care of. Let's get in the truck, gave him some, some steps. We went and got an x-ray and all the things. Broke his collarbone. 
What do we do when people are in su- suffering around us? What do we do? How do we, how do we care? I think we know. We show up. The first thing you do, arrive. Be present with somebody. Secondly, validate. That stinks. That's hard. That seems like that hurts. We often sometimes will begin sharing our own stories when somebody's in pain. Let's not do that. Let's not do that. At least not at first. Let's validate. Let's care. And once we maybe hear of the situation, maybe we know their story, maybe we know truths of the scriptures, maybe we just have the great reward in heaven, but we say something like, it's going to be okay. Because they don't know that right then. Because they're going through something. And lastly, you say, let's walk together through this. That's what we want, right? That's what we want. The same thing we do with a kid when he falls down. So church, may no one ever suffer alone in our families, in our church families, in our neighborhood. So how do we respond to suffering as we've talked about this today? First, personally, We've got to be ready to build our life on Jesus. Second, we care for others. Don't let anyone be alone. Thirdly, remember the reward. Not everything's going to be solved on this side of heaven, but on the other side of heaven, everything is solved. Romans 8, 25. I want to close with the last verse of our passage today. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Let's pray. God, we're horrible at being patient. But may we trust that, God, you have a plan. And you're working for good for all those who love you and are called according to your purpose. We can't see that right now in many areas of our lives, but we trust in the word of God. We trust in the church that's gone before us, and we believe Jesus. Help us today to suffer rightly that we remember the glory that's coming. The suffering is real, but the glory is so much greater. Father, help us be a church that mourns with those who mourn, suffers with those who suffer, pray for healing for one another. Father, may no one ever suffer alone in our community. We ask this in your name. Amen.